Look at Job 42. And I want to give you a sermon entitled, uh, Knowledge is Power. Knowledge is Power. Job is the oldest book in the Bible, attributed to Moses as being the first book that he wrote. Sidlow Baxter says in his uh, Exploring the Bible tome that Job lived during the same era as Abraham, so that they were concurrent with each other. The book of Job begins with a description of Job's faith and his character and his prosperity and of his family in verses 1 to 5. And then we have this scene that's described for us as Satan comes in before God in heaven and he and God have a talk together. God decides to set up Job as an example to Satan of a redeemed person and of the affection that the redeemed have for their Redeemer. This is beyond Satan's comprehension. And so as Satan looks at God, he says he only serves you because you have blessed him. He only serves you because of the prosperity that you've given him. That's Satan's position. With all that Satan knows of God and his dealings with man, Satan's view is still that people only serve the Lord because of prosperity. And so God, to show Satan the true connection that Job has with his God, God allows Satan access into Job's life. The first thing that Satan strikes is where we all hate to be punched, and he punches him right in the wallet. Big calamities. And then he punches his family, and his family is killed. All of his children perish in one horrible accident. Job still still is devoted to the Lord. Doesn't say anything malicious about God out loud, although he may have been saying it in his heart. I'll give you this little bit of, of knowledge, is that Satan cannot read your mind. He can't see what's in your heart. He doesn't have that kind of omnipotence. Not, not omnipotence, omniscience. Only God does. And so Satan says to God, well, if you let me touch his body, that'll get him. We, we took his money, we took his family. But if you let me take his health, that'll do, the, that'll do the trick. And so God says, go ahead. And some kind of loathsome disease descends upon Job, and he's in a bad way. And still he doesn't curse God nor charge him foolishly, as the authorized version says. Job's wife, Mrs. Job, she comes to Job and she says, are you still going to maintain your integrity? Are you still going to keep this up? And she says, why don't you curse God and die? And Job says to his wife, shall we receive good at the hand of the Lord and not receive evil? Surely we brought nothing into this world and surely we'll take nothing out. You know, that famous little passage there. And then... uh, Job's friends, they come and talk to him. And basically, the middle portions of Job are about the the conversations that Job has with his friends. And the book of Job is a part of the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. And it's a very it's very a lot of philosophy, a lot of a lot of a lot of big brained ideas there at work in, in Job. And the book of Job shows us how the nat- how people in their natural state, in their na- with natural reasoning, how they interpret God with their minds. And a lot of the things you see Job's friends saying, the things you see Job saying, do seem logical to us, but there's a lot of errors in their thinking. Now, let's read chapter 42. This is the end of the story. We'll read chapter 42, and then I'll give you this 
give you a sermon. I've got to change this clock right here to right there. Then Job answered the Lord and said, this is after he has been, had God's revealed himself to him, God has spoken to him out of a whirlwind. Job responds to what God has said. Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all, th- I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes." The Lord had spoken these words to Job. The Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now therefore take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has." So Lephaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Namathite went and did what the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. And the Lord restored Job's fortunes, restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all those who had known him before and ate bread with him in his house, and they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. She had also, he had also seven sons and three daughters, and he named the first daughter Jemima, and the name of the second Keziah, In the name of the third, Karen Hapkuk. And in all the land there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons four generations. And Job died an old man and full of days. After Job goes through this experience with God, he learns some things about God. You only learn about God through experience. You learn about God through the Bible, but then you live with God experientially. Christianity is an experiential religion. It's not all academic and brain stuff. There's, there's, an, there's a, an emotional, physical connection we have with God. And in the book of Job, we see Job wrestling with trying to understand his God. Now, what we see here is in Job 42, Job is going to tell us some things he's learned now that he has hindsight, that he has some perspective. And you guys all know how hindsight works, right? My dad used to say this all the time. Hindsight is 2020. I, don't, I didn't understand that until I was, you know, well into my teens. <laughs> I don't think I really understood that until I was probably in my 20s. Hindsight is 20. 20. Hindsight, looking back. And so Job, he looks back and now he knows something about his God. The first thing we see is in verse number 2, is he sees that his God is unstoppable. 
He is the unstoppable God. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Our God is a can-do God. He is a God who accomplishes. He is a God who succeeds. He is a God who does not fail. He cannot fail. His reputation depends upon his success. He cannot fail. If you ask God to put up or shut up, God always puts up. You ask God to show up and show out, he always does. God cannot be stopped. He cannot be thwarted. Job indicates something here in the text. He says God's purpose, God's plans cannot be thwarted. Sometimes you and I may think, well, I don't want to mess up God's plan. <laughs> you can't. You can't mess it up. Now, when you, you know, I'll say, as a pastor, you go to a church, and when you go to a church, churches are usually, they're, they're usually doing okay when you go there, but while you're there, you have a lot of chances to mess it up. <laughs> you can mess it up. And sometimes you say, well, I, I, I don't want to mess it up. Listen, you can't mess up God's plans. Now, the book of Job reminds us that successes or uprisings and downfallings, gains and losses are all part of God's purpose and God's plan. All a part of it. The good times of your life have been a part of God's plan. Aren't you happy about that? Amen? The bad parts of your life have also been a part of God's plan for your life. And we've got to be happy about that too. Sometimes it's not hard to be happy about it. Sometimes it's hard to be happy about it. But hindsight informs us about it changes the way we look at it. These hard times have actually made us good. You know, there's the old adage about the sea is that smooth seas do not good sailors make. You have to go through storms. You have to go through tribulations. And Job learns that his God is unstoppable. God's purpose is going to be successful. It cannot be thwarted. If God's purposes could be upended, if they could be stopped, if God could be defeated, then we are in big trouble. Our faith is in the wrong place. Our God cannot be defeated. That's why God has given us the book of Revelation, where God has already promised us in black and white, He wins. And all those who are on His side win too. And he's put it down in the book for us. It's there. It, ain't gonna, it cannot be, he can't change it. Victory is ours. One pastor says that the Christian, we fight from victory to victory. We go forward because our God is victorious in what he's doing. The second thing that Job see, learns here in verse number three is that God's plans are not all revealed to us. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful, me, wonderful for me, which I did not know. God does not tell us everything that he's doing. When God had this exchange with Satan in the eternal realm, God did not send Job a heavenly email or a note that said, I just want to let you know, Job, this is what's really going on here. He didn't do that. Job just had to trust his God's purpose, trust his God's plan. What we often talk about 
When we, Job is talking about how he, he has talked about God's purpose in a way that was inaccurate. We tend to talk about stuff based upon our own logic or our own interpretation. That's why in, in Proverbs it gives us this warning, every man seems just in his own cause, but then his neighbor comes and challenges him, right? You ever been about, you, you, ever, you, ever, you ever took some time to make a decision? Anybody like that? And after you made your decision, you thought, I've made the right decision, only to have somebody that you really don't care for too much come along and point out your obvious flaw. <laughs> you ever been working on your car, brothers? And you've been out there just trying to figure out what's wrong with that piece of junk, trying to get it all figured out, and you're, you're just about ready to explode, to go nuclear. And your wife comes out, or your little kid comes over and says, what's this thing right here? Shouldn't that be hooked to that? Dad, you know, you got this unplugged for a reason? <laughs> and then you realize, oh, I didn't, I, I'm, I, it's humiliating sometimes. Sometimes we get it wrong. We tend to interpret God's actions or God's inaction through how we think we would do it or how it should be done. God should act. God's acting because he, how come he's not doing what we should do? What we think he should do? It doesn't make sense to us. I've been walking through Walmart lots of times and seeing people doing things that I thought were just abominable and think to myself, God, why do you let the world be the way it is? And I'll give you an example, I'll give you an example of the very thing that I'm talking about. As I've been walking through Walmart and see two girls walking through the store, two women, holding hands, obviously carrying on like they were two married people. I've seen two dudes doing the same thing. And I've seen, in our fair city right here in good old Sheboygan, Michigan, redneck capital of the north, amen? I've seen guys dressed like women. And you know what? I think to myself, God, what in the world? I'll what I actually say. I'm not going to say what I actually say. I say, Lord, what is going on here? Why, 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 don't, why don't you put a stop to this? And then I say, well, this is the Lord's world. These things must be a part of his purpose. And I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. As I've seen some of those kind of things infiltrate themselves into my circle of life, I can tell you one thing it's done for me. It's changed the way I feel about people who behave in those kind of ways. A lot more compassionate, a lot more understanding, not affirming. It's a, that's, it's a different thing. Affirming is a different thing. A lot more thoughtful about what the words we say, the exchanges we have, jokes we tell, etc. Because those things inform, they, they change the way you look at it, make you see things differently. So, God's plans are not always revealed to us. Now, that's actually good. Because if you knew what was going to happen tomorrow, <laughs> if you know you're going to win the lottery tomorrow, yippee skippy, right? Order that bass boat tonight. <laughs> but if you know you got big losses tomorrow, big heartbreaks tomorrow, well, that'd be horrible, wouldn't it? Waiting for the hammer to fall. Every second would be a dread, a sorrow, a woe. 
But God doesn't tell us everything. And that's good. We have to learn to trust Him. Moses wrote about it in Deuteronomy 29 where he said, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. There are some secret things, some secret plans that he doesn't make known to us yet. Yet. The fourth thing we see here, the third thing we see is in verse number four. Job speaks to God and he says, Hear and I will speak. He wants God to listen to him. He says, if you will listen to me, I will speak to you. Give me your ear. I want to talk to you. I will question you. I will inquire if you'll give me some answers. Now, my friends, there are some things in life you can go to God about, and God will tell you the why of it. Not everything, but some things He will. Job turns to the Lord and says, help me to know these things. Lord, if if you will hear me, I will talk to you. I will question you. And you make it known to me. Job, for the last 30 chapters or so, has been telling everything he does know about everything. But now in this chapter, Job is confessing that he doesn't know everything. That he doesn't know as much as he thought he did. And he demonstrates his newfound humility before the Lord. No more speculations. Job says, if you will condescend to to listen to me, I will ask you. Proverbs says, a wise man hears and increases in knowledge. It's a wise person who knows when to ask for help. When I was about, I don't know, I don't know how old that was. 1900 and probably 88. So I was 10. 10 or 11 years old. And I had bought for myself, I had upgraded my bicycle. I had a, a, a Murray BMX bicycle. It was red. And I got it when I was in kindergarten. When I was five years old. And I remember I came home from kindergarten and my dad, this, this was, this, don't do this to your kids. My parents did it to me. That's why I am the way I am. When I came home from school, my mom met me at the door and said, I walked, I walked to kindergarten in the snow, barefoot, uphill both ways. <laughs> and so I walked home from school, I walked in the back door, and my mom was in the kitchen. She said, your dad wants you in the bedroom. Now, that's where we usually got spankings at. And I was like, she said, your teacher called. My teacher was Mrs. Elmore. Mrs. Elmore was the sister of Satan. <laughs> your, sis- your, your teacher called. <laughs> My sister called. <laughs> That'd make me Satan. <laughs> so my, my mom said that, and my dad, I went, so I head down the hallway, and my dad steps out of the bedroom with a belt. And I thought, I thought, well, so long, world. <laughs> walked into my bedroom, walked into his bedroom, and there was my bicycle. Little sign said, happy birthday on it. I remember looking at the bike, looking at my dad and going, he's going, happy birthday. I'm like, <laughs> I don't know how to feel here. So I had that bicycle from kindergarten till 
I was about 10 years old, and my, uh, my grandparents gave me some money for my birthday. We went to the department store, and I bought a bicycle. It was, it was a white, uh, I don't know what kind of white, it was a BMX bicycle, it was white. But it had white tires and mag wheels. Remember mag wheels on bicycles? Handbrakes. Ooh, baby. Nice. And I had that bicycle, and, and I left it outside one night, and I went out there to get on it one morning. And I went to crank the pedal on it, and the pedals, they just went around and clank. And because you could pedal backwards, you clank. I, I couldn't make it go around because one of the pedal cranks had gotten, had gotten bent against the frame at the back. And I, I was like, ah, how can I fix this? So I took it into the garage and got into my dad's tools. I'm trying to figure out what to do, and I just can't, I can't fix it. I'm trying every stinking thing that I can think of to fix it, and I just lose it. And I pick that bicycle up, and I'm just throwing it on the ground and throwing it on the ground, and I'm yelling, I'm kicking it, you know, and I, I was using my vast repertoire of Christian cuss words, right? I'm just, man, I'm mad. And my dad comes out. What's wrong? I said, it's bent. And he said, why didn't you ask me for help? I said, I don't need any help. And then he said, yeah, you do. And so he went over there, and he did, he did some things I didn't know you could do. First of all, I didn't know that such a thing as left-handed threads existed. <laughs> because he took the pedal off, and the crank had no pedal on it now, and he put a cheater pipe on it. And he just bent it out. Took him all of three or four minutes, and he fixed my bike. And I was riding just a little ways. I didn't know to ask for help. I wasn't smart enough to know to ask for help. But my friends, I've asked for help lots of times since then. Asking for help. Job, a wise man, hears. A wise man knows when he needs advice, and he listens, and he increases in knowledge. Now I want to ask you a question. Do you listen to God? You say, well, I try to listen to God. Do you, do you listen to God? When you come to church, do you come to hear from God? Do you take up God's word, the Bible, and do you read God's word to hear from God? You say, well, I think God's probably got some good stuff. He does. And a lot of it's tucked away between the covers of a, of a book called the Bible. Do you read God's word? Do you go to church to hear a pastor explain God's word to you? It doesn't have to be me. You can turn on the radio and hear all kinds of good preaching on the radio sometimes. Listening to God. Job says, I'm dependent upon hearing from you. I will question you and you will make it known to me. I want to hear from God. Now in verses 5 and 6, Job talks about his experience. His experience with God has moved him from one place to another. His dealings with God, his sufferings, and then his hearing from the Lord, his humiliation before the Lord in some sense where he's learned that he's not as smart as he thought he was, has moved him from being a cultural believer to a real, mature believer. I heard of you, this is verse 5, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. I had heard of northern Michigan. 
I had been warned about cold weather, but now I know as much as I can know. (laughs) I had heard, but now I know. There's one thing to hear about God. It's a different thing to know God. And I really feel like that in this room, there are most of you, I say most of you, there are a lot of there, there are people here who all you know about God is what you heard. You haven't really come to know God personally, experientially. You haven't been gripped by the Holy Spirit. You haven't felt God's grace in that powerful, poignant way of personal faith in God. We've heard about God. We've been taught about God. But now finally, personally, God's revealed Himself to us, and that's experiential religion. When I was a kid going to church my whole life, front row, third row, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, I knew all there was to know about God. I remember one time I was in a Sunday school class, and the teacher was talking about what the New Testament church was, and I said, no, it's not. And she said, what do you mean? And I told her what the Bible said about it. I was that kid. <laughs> and I remember going home and telling my dad that how Miss Cauley erred in her view. <laughs> and my dad looking on with pride. <laughs> but it didn't mean squat. Because it was all up here in my noggin. I knew what box to check. I knew all the stuff to say, but I, hadn't, I was not a believer. I had not come to know God. But now I have, and it's very different. Very different. Job sees God. He comes to know God. And notice how this knowledge of God affects Job in verse 6. And now my eye sees you, and therefore I despise Myself. Instead of pride and glory and self righteousness, he sees himself in need of repentance. He sees that he is not as slick or as sharp as he thought he was because now he has beheld himself in the image, in the mirror of God. If we wanted to quote James here, we could and say, He has beheld himself in the mirror of the perfect law of liberty. He's come to know himself. Come to know himself. His attitude about himself is striking. He despises himself. Now, I've despised myself lots of times. You know, if you make this past week playing basketball on Tuesday, I played basketball really poorly. I despise myself. I gave myself some good old self-flagellation. You know, you, you, know, <laughs> you stink, Terry. You know, once you get back out there, and then you start thinking of reasons why you, know, you despise yourself. Sometimes I look in the mirror and I go, oh, you are such a beast. Not the good beast. <laughs> You're such a hideous creature. You're getting old and fat. Won't be long, your teeth are going to be falling out. Then your hair is going to go. You're going to wind up like other people. (laughs) 
Sometimes I've despised myself because of my sin. Because I have the same sinful proclivities of every dude. I'm probably worse than some. And I despise myself because of my failures. I've despised myself because, of, because I've been a bad husband, you know. I've despised myself because I think I've been a bad father. Despise myself because I think I've been a bad pastor, a bad preacher, a bad student. I mean, the opportunities for self-loathing are unending, aren't they? But Job has come to despise himself because of sinfulness. He's come to realize that compared to God, he is not much. Compared to God, he is a worm. Now what does he do in this humility? He repents in dust and ashes. In the old times when they were suffering and mourning and repenting, they would wallow in the dirt. They would tear their clothes and throw dirt on themselves and ash on themselves. That way everybody around knew that they were suffering or mourning or repenting. That they're going through something deep. They would wallow in the refuse of life to demonstrate that they themselves had become defiled and wasted and broken. I repent. I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Now, the ESV has an interesting footnote in verse number 6. Now, your Bible may have it too. See the word repent? Right beside that word in my Bible has a little bitty number 2. A little bitty number 2, which means there's an alternate reading at the bottom of the page. So if you look down at the bottom of the page, what you'll see is, and am comforted. So we could read it like this. Therefore, I despise myself and am comforted in dust and ashes. Well, that's different. Instead of repented, repenting in dust and ashes, he's comforted in dust and ashes. that's, that's, That's different. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever found comfort in repentance? Repentance is a change of mind. Repentance is a realization that you've been doing the wrong thing. That you're going the wrong way. Have you ever found comfort in humility when you realize, look, I've just been wrong. I love Valerie with all my heart and there's sometimes we have have been fighting and I know she's right and I will not admit it. There's been times I've been arguing with my kids and I know they're right. And I don't want to admit it. But in that repentance, that change of mind, that that self-lowering, there's comfort there. There's comfort when you repent. There's comfort when you turn to the Lord. This is what Job is finding out. He's finding out that if he will lower himself before the Lord, he'll find some comfort there. There is a comfort that can only be found 
when we get before God on our face somewhere and repent, confess, and come clean with God about what we are and what we're doing. When we get honest with God and clean out the unconfessed sins, there's a big, big comfort there. Comfort. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 5, verse number 4, where he says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, I've been to lots of funeral homes in my life, and usually at a funeral home you'll see that little scripture inscribed somewhere. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Usually it's a mourning text, or you know, from somebody passes away, mourning. Let me, say, let, me say, let me say this to you. You guys think about it. Come back next week and tell me what you think. Um, sometimes somebody in our life passes away and some people are never really comforted in their death. But that says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. I've known a lot of people, Christian people, who've had their loved ones pass away. And there's no comfort. They're never comforted. They always have a big, ragged, bleeding wound in their heart because they're not comforted. Maybe it's someone who passed away and you don't know that they're a Christian. And if they die without Christ as their Lord and Savior, they don't go to heaven, they go to the other place. How can you be comforted at that knowledge? How can you be comforted? Some friend or brother or sister who, whose life gets cut short by some active senseless violence. A friend of mine in northern Texas. His daughter and her boyfriend were out. And whatever was going on, going on in their lives led them to sit in a pickup truck and shoot one another and killed each other. How do you find comfort in that? My friend, he's made it. He's made it. He's still everlastingly at it, but I don't know if you could find any comfort. So what is what is five four talking Matthew five four talking about? Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. What's it talking about? What is what can you be comforted about with certainty every time? Only the forgiveness of sins. Blessed are they, Lloyd-Jones says it like this, Blessed are they that mourn over their sins, for they shall be comforted. If you moan, if you mourn over your sins before God, you can be assured that all of your sins have been taken care of by the redeeming, cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. Christ forgives all your sins. And you can be assured of that. No matter how big they are, how little they are, how shallow they are, how broad they are, you can find forgiveness through Christ. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. When there is confession of sins, when you confess your sins, there is a fantastic fountain of forgiveness that 
is open to you and flows down from heaven to you, cleansing you, washing you, making you new. Making you new. Now, verses 10 to 16. This is our last bit. There's a lesson to us. This is, the, this is the bit about Job's restorations. It says, Job restores the fortunes of Job. He gives Job, his family comes around again, and his family, they come around with words of comfort, it looks like. Looks like they come around with, a little, with some gifts. They know he's lost his financial standing, and they come around with some coins and rings to try to help him get back on his feet. <coughs> Excuse me. The lesson here is that And then God blesses Job, and the Bible says he has double than what he had before, blessed him more in the latter days than he had at the beginning. The lesson to us is this, is that God may use us for his glory, and it may require us to suffer, but God will make it up to us. God will make it up to us. You won't be sorry that, you, that you've been serving the Lord. Remember what Jesus said to the disciples? They said, we've left everything and followed you. And what does Jesus respond to them with? He that hath left father or mother or houses or land, it shall be restored to him a hundredfold in this life and the life to come. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know how the in this life to come is always fulfilled. But I do know that in the life to come, it will be fulfilled. But it's always got to be better to have it in eternity than here, right? Wouldn't it be because if God blesses you big time here, it's going to come to an end. It's got to. You can't live forever. Job lives 140 years and he dies, which that puts Job's age. Now, this is the big theological debate. You guys ready? Well, we should probably just stop, shouldn't we? Long life. God blesses Job. And he sees four generations here. If you serve the Lord and you suffer, I want you to know God's going to make it up to you. God's going to give you entrance into the heavenly realm. You'll be a part of that millennial kingdom reigning and ruling upon the earth with him. And then, eternity after that, living in the heavenly city. What a glorious future we have for Christians. For Christians. Now let's make a prayer together and we'll be dismissed. <coughs> Excuse me. While your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I want to ask you, I want to ask you a question. Now what I just said, the, that's, that's, an, that's an ancient practice. Heads bowed and eyes closed. That way everybody can have spiritual privacy for a second. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, it's all just stereo music, just static to you. Why don't you right now call upon Christ to save you? He'll have you. He wants to save you. He will save you. Whoever calls upon Him shall be saved. Why don't you call upon Him now? You could pray, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Come into my heart, wash me, cleanse me. He will. He will. All around you are people who have done that very thing, and he has cleansed them. Now, the second thing, you might be here this morning, you're a Christian, 
and you're in the midst, you're in the midst of a trial. You're having difficulty with it. Trust the Lord. He's with you. Call out to Him. Sometimes He He brings the tough times into our life so we'll look to Him because we get so self-sufficient. Now let's make a prayer together. Father, I pray for those who are here who are not Christians. I pray that you would open their eyes and put the desire in their heart to believe in Jesus. To believe in Him. I pray, Father, for those who are in the midst of a trial and a difficulty. I pray that you would speak to them from the whirlwind. Let them know that you're there and you're with them. Help us to learn from our difficulties, we pray. In Christ's holy name, amen.